0: There we go. Well, you don't have to raise your hand, but um, for self-reflection, is there anybody in the room that has to learn lessons the hard way? Again, no hands, just self-reflection. Oh, and there they are. They're just admitting it. That's There's a certain amount of confidence, self-confidence, security, where we can admit our weaknesses. Yeah. I, I, again, you don't have to raise your hand. Uh, if you are a parent, <clears throat> do any of you have at least one child <clears throat> that has, don't, make eye contact either that has to learn everything the hard way you you know even before you give them the instructions that they are going to have to learn the hard way you know before you say don't touch this it's hot You're going to end up in the burn unit before the end of the day. You just know they're going to have to learn the hard way. They're going to have to try it and get burned and learn the hard way. Yeah. Um, you, You can raise your hand this time. Does anybody know anyone? Not saying it's you, not saying it's your kid, not saying it's your husband. Do you know anyone, by show of hands, do you know anyone who has to learn things the hard way? Yeah, there's just people like that, right? There's just people that you can give the clearest warnings, the best explanations, and still they feel like, well, that doesn't apply to me. Well, I'm smarter than, more clever than, I can try it, and the worst not Happen in, in our study of Moses, we come to a part of the story where someone has to learn the hard way, <clears throat> and because that person learned the hard the hard way, a ton of people have to learn things the hard way. If you were here last week, Moses is born. He has these courageous parents. Uh, the the, the the leader of egypt king of egypt pharaoh has decided that all uh, male hebrew children are to be thrown in the nile river but moses parents they put him in a basket they float him down the river and he gets adopted by a princess and 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 raised in the palace and then there there is this this tension within moses at some point because he is a hebrew the, the the princess that adopted him knows that. She she hasn't hidden that from him. He is a Hebrew, but he's been raised among Egyptians. He's been raised in the palace, so in some ways he's both a Hebrew and an Egyptian, and in other ways maybe he's neither. He doesn't know... Where he is later on in his life, sort of fast-forwarding chronologically from where we are right now, but Moses is going to have a child, and he names his first child a name that means, I have become a foreigner in a foreign land. This is the name he gives to his child, which is kind of a self-expression, I think, for Moses. I don't really belong anywhere. I don't know who I am. I'm a foreigner in a foreign land. Now, prior to that happening, prior to meeting his wife and, and having a son, you, you know the story. Moses is living in the palace, and he goes out one day to see his own people, to check on his own people, the, the Hebrew people. He sees a, an Egyptian slave mistreating a Hebrew, and he steps in and murders the Egyptian uh, and then spends 40 years on the run. Forty years out in the wilderness. Here, here's a principle from, from Moses' life. God's way and God's when are just as important as God's why. God's way and God's when are just as important as God's why. God had a purpose for Moses. He had a Why? Right, Simon Sinek's popular book, Start With Why. Right, start with your purpose. What is the why? What is the motivation? Why do you want to do what you want to do? Why do you feel called to this? What, what is your purpose? That is a great uh, motivation. That is a great idea to consider. God has a why for our lives. God has purposes. He has planning plans. He has callings for our life. But as followers of God... We can justify a lot of unhelpful actions by saying, well, God has called me to do this thing. I'm God's anointed. Well, somebody has to do something. Well, somebody has to say something. Somebody has to take a stand. And while that may be right in some ways, sometimes we rush ahead of God's plan, uh, of God's win, of God's way, because we feel so motivated by the why that God has given us. While we said last week that we have to be brave and courageous and sometimes we have to step up, we also need to say at the same time we, we shouldn't be reckless. Like God has not called us To be reckless. God has not called us to accomplish his purposes by any means necessary or in our own timing or in our own own way. We we, we have to remember that when God has a, a why, he also has a way. When God has a why, when God has a calling, God has a plan for bringing that calling. To reality god, god has a way of getting you ready for what He wants to do in your life god God has a way of preparing circumstances and situations for you to step into the purpose and the why and the calling <clears throat> of your life we 're a now culture we 've talked about that before. everything is instantaneous. We want it now we want to speak immediately into every issue and every circumstance. Everything needs to happen now. And I'm not suggesting that we become procrastinators. I I, I don't think we should just wait and wait and wait forever and ever. But we also have to recognize that now is not always the answer to God's win. And sometimes our, our our purpose perhaps, our calling, that thing that God has put in us, it seems so important that it must happen now. But what we find in Moses' life is that his rushing of God's when, his accomplishing, attempting to accomplish God's why in his own time, caused a lot of chaos. Caused a lot of problems, caused a lot of issues. Moses, and we'll see this, we'll see this again. Moses is, is prone to reaction, overreaction. He is prone to uncontrolled emotions, his his anger, his, his reactionary impulses. He's, he's not a perfect leader. He's not a perfect person. He's prone to these emotional swings. And I'm not saying that as a leader you have to be unemotional, but we, we see in Moses a person who allows emotions to hijack his better judgment at times. His emotions, his swings hijack his better judgment at times. And, and this was one of those moments. There, there was a calling on his life. There was a why. God had a purpose for Moses. He was raising him up to be a leader of his people, but Moses was in a hurry. He didn't wait for God's win. He didn't wait for God's way, and there is usually a price when we don't wait for God's way and God's win. There's usually a price. There's usually a price for us. There's often a price for those around us, and Moses experiences that. He flees from Egypt Spends 40 years tending sheep, meets Jethro, becomes his father-in-law, marries his wife, and then there's that moment. We've talked about it before. He's he's on the other side of the wilderness, and God visits Moses in a burning bush. He gives him a miracle-working staff. He works through some of Moses' insecurities or at least confronts some of Moses insecurities, by the way, just kind of a side note, those who tend to overreact emotionally, swing wild ranges of emotional reaction. they're offering they're often like Moses trying to cover up insecurities. Like there's often something going on inside of them that causes them to swing back and forth in these wild range of, Emotions. I don't say that as condemnations. I say that because I see that in myself often as I look back over my life. I see often that when when I tend to swing emotionally, there's usually something going on on the inside of me. There's usually insecurities on the inside of me. We find this in Moses all throughout his life. After this encounter at the burning bush, God finally sends Moses to confront Pharaoh. This is Exodus chapter 5. Afterward, Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and said, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Let my people go so that that they may hold a festival to me in the wilderness. Pharaoh said, Who is the Lord that I should obey him and let Israel go? I do not know the Lord, and I will not let Israel go. Notice Pharaoh's response. Who is this this God you speak of? I don't know your God. I don't I don't care about your God. He means he means nothing to me. Like Pharaoh is dismissive of God. He is irreverent towards God. He cannot be bothered by Moses God. He is so indifferent to Moses God that he makes things more difficult on the Hebrew people. Right? They they have been making bricks, and then Pharaoh says, fine. It, If you want to go, then they're going to work harder. They're going to gather the straw, but they've got to make the same number of bricks. This is how little respect Pharaoh has for God. Who who is this God? I don't know your God. I don't know who you're talking about. He means nothing to me. And so what we see happen next is God's way of introducing himself to Pharaoh. Oh, you don't know this God. L- let me introduce you to this God. Let-, let me introduce you to the power of this God. And thus begins the series of ten plagues. They get visited, not just on Pharaoh, but on Egypt. In some ways, this was a response to Pharaoh's indifference To the one true God. Pharaoh's dismissiveness of the one true God, but the plagues, they weren't random occurrences. They they weren't random punishments. The plagues were a demonstration of God's power over Egyptian gods. You, You don't know the Hebrew God, Pharaoh? Let me show you how the Hebrew God measures up against all of the Egyptian gods starting with the Nile River. Right? The Nile River is turned to blood. This is the first of the plagues that happens. The Nile is connected to multiple Egyptian gods. The Nile itself was believed to be a gift from the gods. And now this river that they in some ways worship, that they believed connected them to their gods is full of blood, and fish are dead, and rotting, and stinking. Not only that, the, the Egyptians worshipped a god in the form of a frog, a god in the form of a cow, gods that protected their crops, like gods of the harvest, that they believe these gods are the ones that cause our, our crops to go, to grow. They worshipped sun gods, they worshipped gods that were... Uh, supposed to give them health and protect them from sickness and and one by one for for the the gods of the Egyptians, the Hebrew God demonstrated they're no match for the Hebrew God they're no match for Moses God. Pharaoh himself was considered a god. The Egyptians worshiped Pharaoh as one of the gods. And the last plague, the death of the firstborn, including the firstborn of the Pharaoh, was a message to say God can even interrupt the line of the Pharaoh that you worship as a God. One by one, God minimizes all of the things that the people worshiped. God has a way of doing that. Maybe not in quite as dramatic a form in our lives, But God has a way of tearing down the idols that we build in our lives. Those things that we put before God. Those things that we put ahead of God. Those those things that we give our time to. We give our attention to. We we give our life to. Ahead of, over God. God has a way of kind of plucking those off one by one. One, whether it's our, our pleasure or our comfort or our goals or the, the pursuits of our life. Right? None of us would ever say what Pharaoh said. None, none, none of us ever verbalize I don't know the Hebrew God. Who is that? He means nothing to me, and yet in the way we organize our lives, in the in the way we organize our priorities, so often, everything else gets put above the one we say should be first. It wasn't just a display of God's power over the Egyptian gods. The plagues removed what the people were depending on, the things that they had put their trust in. They had put their hope in these things other than the one true God and. And one after one, God just removed them at least temporarily. The Nile River was the main source of water. it was the source of life for them as a source of food and fish and it was gone it was it was taken from them. they counted uh, God took away their comfort right? they they depended on like we depend on. Our comfort—it's not possible to be comfortable when there are frogs everywhere, right? Not just out in the woods croaking—that can be nice at night—but in your home, in your bed, in your oven, everywhere. Frog comfort was gone, or there was gnats as many as the the dust uh, of the land. There were there were flies everywhere. It was a plague on the livestock. What they depended on for their food, what they depended on for milk and and wool, the horses and camels they depended on for travel, their health was affected. Everything about their comfort, everything that they counted on, everything that they depended on was slowly removed from their lives. Whatever livestock survived the earlier plague on livestock was threatened by the hailstorm. Whatever crop survived the hailstorm was eaten by the locusts. The plague of darkness made it so they couldn't function. The Bible says it was so thick that they could feel it and just one by one. God is removing from their lives the things that they depend on, the things that they were counting on, the things they were building their whole existence around. And God does that sometimes to us. I'm not saying he always does this to us, but occasionally God will begin to remove our comfort. Those things that we were counting on, those things that we were putting our hope in, we were putting our trust in, we were beginning to depend on more than we depended on God. As a way for God to say, this will ultimately fail you. This will not last forever. This pursuit that you're on will ultimately leave you empty. This thing that you think will bring fulfillment to you, it just won't. And if I could remove it, if I could disturb it for just a little bit and get you to see that, then it would have been worth it. It would be worth what God was doing. It would be worth what you were having to go through if through that process you recognize my hope's got to be in God alone my, my dependence has to be in God alone and one by one he does this for Pharaoh and the Egyptian people and we would we might think somewhere along the way. Pharaoh would have a change of heart but he doesn't. This is Exodus chapter 7 verse Twenty-two. Pharaoh's heart became hard. This is after the Nile was turned to blood. Pharaoh's heart became hard. He would not listen to Moses and Aaron just as the Lord had said. Instead, he turned and went into his palace and did not take even this to heart. He's unmoved. He's unaffected. He did not take even this to heart. It's a heart which is a which is a picture of our heart sometimes like it's a, it's a picture of the human heart sometimes the truth is for all of us at different times in our life we don't see what we don't want to see even when it's right in front of us we don't see what we don't want to see we've created a reality We've created a future. We've created a life in front of our eyes. And what's obvious to everyone else, what's obvious to us looking into the story of Pharaoh and what he was experiencing and how we would expect a human to respond, what is so obvious to everyone around a person is not always obvious to that person. We don't see what we don't want to see everybody else recognizes this is a really bad decision and we've tried to to talk you out of this we, we've tried to show you why this is such a bad decision and you don't want to see it we don't, we don't see what we don't want to see <clears throat> everybody else knows the destination that you're going to end up at if you stay on this path right? you have people in your life you've been through this with some people maybe relatives, maybe friends. Everybody else knows you stay on this path, there's only one place that's going to end up except for the person who's on that path. We don't don't see what we don't want to see. We have phenomenal powers of self-deception, all of us. It's not just Pharaoh. We read the story of Pharaoh and we, we wonder how he could... Manage things the way he did. We 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 question the decisions. How could anybody have made those decisions after seeing that? But you may have seen it in your life. You may have seen it in the lives of the people around. Everybody else knows. If you keep making this decision, if you keep going in this direction, it is really clear what the destination is we don't see what we don't want to see. We think we're smarter. We think we're clever. We think we're managing things just fine. And and like Pharaoh, we have, we have strategies. We have strategies when everybody else tells us we're making the wrong decisions. Here are a couple of strategies from Pharaoh. Strategy one, just say whatever you need to say in the moment. Just Give the right answer, um, <clears throat> parents. Are you ever talking to your child if you're younger than twenty? Tune out for just a second. Are you ever talking to your child and you know they're just giving you the answer that you want them to give you? Um, I see me afterwards. If you've never experienced that, I've experienced this a lot. I have three daughters. They're very good at figuring out what you want to hear and just telling you what you want to hear. We we have more than one discussion, me and a daughter, we have more than one discussion where I went, are you just telling me what I want to hear or do you really mean that? See, Pharaoh had perfected, I'm just going to tell you what you want to hear. As, As the plague raged on, Pharaoh would call Moses in and said, okay, you can can take everybody. Y'all can go. I'll let you go. And then as soon as the plague lifted, he changed his mind. He just said what he needed to say. In the moment, to avoid the heat, to try to avoid the consequences, to try to buy a little bit of time, I'm just going to give you the answer that you want. Strategy number two. Pharaoh's second strategy was to delay. He's going to delay. I'm going to stretch this out as long as I can, hoping that I can figure something out. Uh, The the plague of the frogs. Frogs are everywhere. It's miserable. It's awful. It's creepy. It's disgusting. He says, Hey, Moses, I give. Just make the frogs go away. And you can read this in, in Exodus. Moses says to Pharaoh... I'll let you decide when they go away. I don't know how you'd answer, but I'd say like five minutes ago. Five minutes ago, if not five minutes ago, right now, I don't want any more frogs. The answer that Pharaoh gives in this story is not five minutes ago, it's not right now, it's tomorrow. Make them go, you get to pick, make them go away. Tomorrow, you want one more night with frogs? Like, really? You want to keep doing this another night? It could be over right now if you just make the decision. You've talked to people like that, right? You know of people like that. Like, you could could decide now. You could make a change now. You could be different now. I'll help you. I'll come. I'll do the thing. I'll move you. I'll what? I will come now. We could do it now. And for some people their answer is just just give me a little more time. I'm gonna get this figured out. I'm, I'm gonna figure it out. I got it under control. I, I know I need to change. I'm just gonna change later. I know I need to stop. I'm just not going to stop now. I know I need to end this, but I need just a little more time. Just a little more. I need another night with the frogs. I need just a little more time. For, for Pharaoh, and for, a lot, and for a lot of us, Delaying is our way of trying to find a way around doing what's right or doing what we need to do right now. is just looking for another night where he can scheme, he can try to figure out, all right, how do I get back in control? How do I end this without having to give up the things that I don't want to have to give up? How do I manage this? I need just a little more time to think about this. I need a little more time to figure this out. Tomorrow, tomorrow. Like just a moment of surrender would have ended this. It's a moment of surrender. God, I'm gonna do it your way. Your way, your win. Right now, I'm not trying to figure it out. I'm not trying to be smarter than everybody else. I just want to obey. Strategy number three for Pharaoh: false contrition. After the plague of hail, we're told in Exodus nine twenty seven. Then Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron. This time, I have sinned," he said to them. "The Lord is in the right." And I am in the wrong. Pray to the Lord. For we have had enough thunder and hail. I will let you go. You don't have to stay any, any longer. And I really mean it this time. I really mean it this time. I'm telling you the truth this time. I, I'm going to do it this time. I'm going to stop doing it this time. It's my fault. I'm going to take responsibility. It's my fault. I'm going to stop. And then there's no change. And then there's no change. And like, I'm not condemning you. If, if this is you, we all play these games. <laughs> like, the best of us in this room, and if you think you're the worst of the people in this room, no, all, all of us play these games with God when it comes to the things we really want, but we know He's telling us no. When we know He has another way. All of us play these games with God over some area of our life we bargain we delay we say i'm sorry i got caught this time i'm going to change we all play these games and god is just consistently saying look come to me trust me listen to me What happens so many times is what happens in the story. Is it's not just the person who refuses to change that suffers. There's a ripple effect to the people all around them. When the uh, when the Nile turns to blood, and, and and we've read, Pharaoh's heart's not even moved. Like it, it doesn't get anywhere close to him. He's not even bothered. He's calloused and hardened. But the scripture tells us, and all the Egyptians dug along the Nile to get drinking water because they could not drink the water of the river. Everybody else is trying to survive because of the decisions of that person. Everybody else is feeling the weight. They're feeling the pain. Their hearts are broken. They're desperate because there's this one person who just... Refuses to turn everything over to God, refuses to yield their hardened heart. They delay, they say they're sorry, and then they don't change. They say I just need a little more time. They keep stringing it out, and everybody else suffers too. Here's a bigger picture of the plagues. The plagues contrast the paths to life and death. While there's all of these sort of subtle messages in the plagues, and there's, there's subtle messages in the response of Pharaoh, the larger picture is there's one way of living that leads to darkness and destruction. And, and there's one way of living that leads to light and life. And and we're all moving in one of those two directions. As as Pharaoh's heart gets harder and harder, the, the destruction continues in the lives of the Egyptians, contrasted with what's happening with the Hebrews. At least by the fourth plague, we're told that God is protecting the Hebrews from the effects of all of these plagues. There's no flies where they live. The livestock doesn't die where they live. Locusts don't eat crops where the Hebrews live. Whereas there's darkness for the Egyptians, so dark you can feel it. There's light in the camp of the Hebrews. There's this stark contrast that there's two directions. One of them leads to destruction. One of them leads to darkness, and one of them... Needs to, leads to life. One of them leads to light. There's, there's another way, in other words. There's another way. Other than experiencing the, the consequences of decisions, the harshness, the brokenness of what the Egyptians were experiencing, there's another way. You know, in, in contrasting the Hebrews and the Egyptians... It's as if God is saying, it doesn't have to be this way. It doesn't have to be this way. God doesn't take delight in the consequences of disobedience. God doesn't rejoice in the consequences of disobedience. It doesn't have to be that way. There's a way that's leading to life. There's there's a way that's leading to healing and hope. And, of course, that distinction is most noticeable in the final plague. Moses tells Pharaoh that death is going to pass on Egypt and the firstborn of every family will be taken. But there was another way. There was another way. God, God told Moses to tell the, the Hebrews, prepare a lamb. Prepare it specifically in this way. Take the blood from the lamb and put it over the door and on the sides. and Eat quickly and be ready to go because... You're about to be set free. This other way is about to come into reality. This freedom from bondage is about to happen. And in the darkness, when the death angel came through and Pharaoh's son was taken, that was when he called Moses and Aaron and said, you can go, you can go. But there is this distinction between the path that leads to death and the path that leads to life, there are still two ways. There are still two ways. One that leads to death. One that leads to life. In Egypt that night, sons died in the darkness for the sins of their fathers. Sons across the nation died because of their fathers' sins. years later a lamb would come God's son would come and die in the place of everyone's sons and everyone's daughters and everyone's fathers and everyone's mothers and for everyone's sin rather than sons dying for their father's sins God's son died for all of our sins this Lamb that was slain on Passover night was a foreshadowing of what God was going to do through Jesus. That He would set us free from bondage. That He would bring us out of darkness into light, away from death, and towards life because His Son would die for us. Which of those paths are you on? How many times has, has God tried to draw you towards light, tried to draw you towards life, have you been saying no? Have you been rejecting that? Then God would say to you, there's another way. There's another way. There is a way that leads to life, and it is through Jesus. And for the rest of their history, they would talk about this night. They would sing songs about this night. They would... Pray prayers related to this night. They would eat a meal related to this night because that was the night that they left bondage and they left slavery and they stepped into freedom. And that offer is still available. It's still available. Come away from the things that lead to death. Come away from the things that lead to your destruction and come towards the one Who will give you hope and life and eternity and fulfillment? Let's pray. If you're here today, God's desire for you is to know life and freedom and light. Listen, if you've been making excuses to stay in the darkness, put them all aside. Stop delaying. Stop just trying to find the right words to say. Just come to the Lamb who died for you to give you life, to give you hope, to give you fulfillment. Run to Him. Listen, if you've never given your life over to Christ, you could do it right now. You could do it right now. You could just say, God, I I know that I've sinned and disobeyed you, and I believe Jesus died and rose for me, and I trust him as my Savior. And Just the simplest words of putting your faith in Christ, God hears that, God responds to that. We move from, from death to life, from darkness to light. Do that today. I'll be at the front. If you want somebody to pray with you, if you want to talk this through with somebody, I'll be down here on the front. I would love to do that with you. God, thank you that in our lives you, you went to great lengths so that we would hear the gospel. You made it so that at some point deep down we would, we would view the path to death as, as something to run from. Something we didn't want. And you would, through your Spirit, draw us toward the light. For anyone that is, that is, hesi- that is hesitating, for, for anyone that is holding back, God, help them to run to you today, to choose life, to choose light, to choose Christ who died for them. I pray it in Christ's name. Amen. Let's stand and worship.